Welcome into Hardcore Penn State Football. I'm Corey Lestoki. Today we are going to be discussing two big major things. The first one, coaching contracts. Arkansas just gave Sam Pittman an interesting contract that I think Penn State should consider moving forward. And then we're going to know our enemy a little bit. Week one versus Purdue. We're going to talk about a little bit what makes them tick. What should Penn State look out for? couple other little things sprinkled in today as well, including Hall of Fame ballots, some recruiting updates as well, coming off of a big whiteout camp. All that and more in just a single second. Sean will be with me in just one moment. Here we go. Welcome in to Hardcore Penn State Football Podcast. I'm Corey Lestoki, and with me as always, Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean? Hey, Corey. Doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. Kind of just chilling this week. So if you guys are following me on Twitter or following Hardcore Penn State Football on Twitter, you probably have seen a little bit more uptick in the tweets. Had a chance to kind of just sit back and, and watch the Adam, and, Adam Brenneman interview with Trace McSorley today. Um, just kind of kind of relaxing, start a new job next week. So got some things to do around the house. But otherwise, Sean, I'm just chilling like a villain. What uh, what have you been up to? Exciting stuff for you, Corey. Well, I was actually, I spent the weekend in Jim Thorpe, PA, with my girlfriend. And it was an awesome weekend. We, uh, um, I don't know if how many listeners have been to Jim Thorpe. I don't know if you've ever been to Jim Thorpe, Corey. But it's such like a, it's kind of Pencil, one of Pennsylvania's uh, hidden gems, I would say. They call it the Swiss, the Swiss Alps of PA, and um, it's such a unique little town, um, and we had such an awesome time. You know, I don't think I actually have ever been there. Um, might have to put that on my list. Might, I mean, there's not that many people that actually live there, right? It's a pretty small town. Yeah, very small town. It's it's all it's it's very touristy, um, and that's how they make that's how they make their money is just from tourism almost exclusively and there are nice little shops there um there's an old mansion which at one time housed the richest woman in america um and there's this old jail there too where um they have a dungeon that was used uh, for solitary confinement until 1979 in 1979 not that no. far away i mean that's pretty no, recent. not at all yeah, my parents were, uh, my dad was nine and my mom was eight. So that goes to show you. And I'm, I'm 27. That was only 16 years before I was born. Um, I'm sure so. a lot of our listeners were, are, are saying how young we are right now. <laughs> True. <laughs> Honestly. Well, anyway, Sean, we have a lot of random things to, to talk about first. Obviously the main chunk of the podcast today is going to be broken down into two parts. One part about coaching contracts, and, and not even necessarily specifically to football, um, but I, I saw something interesting today with what Arkansas did for Sam Pittman's new contract, and I want to discuss that and, and how maybe that maybe the way they um, structured it would have been something that Penn State should have maybe considered with James Franklin or for anybody moving forward. And then the other part of it is going to be about Purdue, and this is going to be something we're going to do every single week now heading into uh, the season because basically we knock out 12 football games and we're going to be right on the doorstep of the season. So every single week from here on out, we will be just briefly 20 minutes or so talking about uh, one of Penn State's opponents. And obviously we'll start with week one and that is Purdue September 1st, Thursday at eight o'clock. So we'll get to that at the end. I also do want to shout out or at least promote 
there will be YouTube videos going along with all of these episodes. So a little bit more of a abbreviated five minute version with a little bit of B-roll um, on our YouTube. So make sure to check that out as well as we get going. I just finished or almost finished uh, the Purdue episodes. Hopefully we'll get that out soon. Hopefully I can kind of keep it. You know, maybe the YouTube will get a little bit ahead. Maybe the YouTube will get a little bit behind, but we'll we'll have to wait and see. So that's kind of the plan moving forward to the podcast. We'll talk about something, but then we're obviously going to talk about another opponent uh, from here on out to the season starts, Sean. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. And that season, um, do you turn the calendars a few days ago? It's gonna be it's gonna be coming up quick. So. Um, the listeners are going to be in for a lot of good content here between now and the beginning of the season and then during the season. Well, I think the the first thing we should talk about, which basically broke as soon as I put out the podcast last week, and that was officially Penn State's wideout will be for Minnesota. I know you're still on the fence about it. I think we it's worth at least rehashing one more time. Uh, Josh Pate had a relatively decently long segment on his show last night uh basically saying hey this is your weapon you should use it against ohio state i don't think the weapon necessarily is as effective at noon um my argument has always been if we assume the michigan game is a loss which i know penn state fans are like well how do we know in june if they're going to lose it you know at michigan let's just assume it's a loss for right now Nobody feels good about the game after Penn State's first loss of the season. Penn State, under James Franklin, hasn't done well, at least historically, from that second game after a loss, even if that game's at home, mind you, Michigan State. Um, I am all for the wideout, A, because I like it being at night, B, I think it's fun to have a different opponent, and C, I think they're going to need something to gather the troops and get the morale up because they're going to be coming off a loss to Michigan, as, at least as of right now. What are your thoughts, Sean? Um, yeah, I, I I don't really buy that. Um, I think I'm kind of in the Josh Pate camp. Uh, I didn't see the segment, but um, from what you told me, it sounds like I'm kind of I'm kind of there. Um, while I concede it's not as effective at noon, uh, and Penn State's sort of in a lose-lose, I think there is something a little more special about going in the Beaver Stadium where everybody's dressed up in white. Um, and I hear you a little bit on, you know, you know, what if we're coming off a loss and it's been beaten death and nauseam on this podcast that Penn State struggles off of losses and bye weeks. Um, that, that, that's, that's a bit too much of a, you know, loser mindset to me. Like, we should be, uh, and, you know, I, I, I think the listeners know by now I'm a bit of a realist, but we should be thinking that you know we're going to win every game going in and we shouldn't be just penciling in losses especially to a team like michigan that um uh, going into that we won two out of the last three games against um so i still think you know you use what um is the greatest weapon at your disposal against your uh toughest fall and and I would 100% agree with that if we had the Ohio State game at night. I don't think that's the argument, Sean. My argument I, is that greatest weapon is not nearly as effective for noon kick. I mean, you and I were both there in 2015 for the Michigan noon game. Not nearly the same atmosphere. And I like the concession to go with the stripe out for Ohio State. So you still have something. I know it's not a white. I'm not going to argue that they're synonymous. But you are not going to get the same vibe. And that's even the case with the 330 games, especially in the summer. But you're especially not going to get that same vibe. I don't think the weapon is nearly, not even close to as effective when you put it at noon. And, and Josh Pate went through all the stats and talked about how offenses are like scoring 15 points less than what they typically do when they play in wideouts. And I didn't know this, Sean. Everyone says, oh, the wideout isn't that good as far as win-loss record. But lately, it's been very effective as far as win-loss record. The only loss going back to 2016 was against Ohio State in 2018. So I think it's a really effective weapon when it's at night. And I think it'd be a missed opportunity to, to move it off of that night. And just even from the recruiting aspect, it, let's just let's, let's forget about Ohio State for a second. 
You bring in Minnesota, who Minnesota could very well be undefeated at that point in the season, mm-hmm. could be the leader in the Big Ten West. That's not going to be a just, you know, a game to forget about. That by all means could be a prime time top ten matchup, probably more likely to be a top twenty five matchup where you really need to win that game, regardless if you beat Michigan or not. The recruits are going to be there. And the worst-case scenario, you unleash the weapon and you beat them by 40, and everyone's happy and having a big old party. I don't think that's bad either for the recruits, for the uh, for the national perception. And then it puts all of the emphasis on that Ohio State game. You cannot go into that Ohio State game with two losses to Michigan and Minnesota. Otherwise, it doesn't even matter. Um, I like having the Minnesota game. I'll give you one more chance to refute and we'll move on. And, uh, it could be, um, it, it could be that case, uh, the Minnesota is a little bit better than I expect them to be. I, I think they'll be okay. Um, by okay, probably, you know, an eight ish win team. Um, but I would also say, do you remember, well, the Michigan and Michigan state game this year, uh, this past year, uh, in 2021, and the Michigan-Ohio State game. They're both at noon. And both of those atmospheres were really, really good. And why was that? It's because they were big games. They were both at noon. And they were both huge games with, uh, turned out to be playoff implications. If you if you play a big game at noon, and, you know, you use your whiteout for that noon game, and believe me, I think big games at noon should almost be illegal. <laughs> but that's the reality we live in when we have this Big Ten as the contract with Fox, um, you're going to have a lot of juice for that. And yes, we were both at the Michigan game in 2015, but let's face it, Penn State wasn't very good in 2015. Uh, that also probably contributed to just the dead energy being late in the year and Penn State just not having a very good season. Um, I do think if Penn State was a one or two loss team going into that game, even with it being at noon, if it wasn't in I think you would have felt more juice in the stadium. I think you may have felt more juice, but the bottom line is, Sean, there is something about waiting all day. Maybe it's just the alcohol. I don't know. There's something about when you wake up in the morning and you know you might have college game day or you might have the big noon you know, kickoff show, and then you have the entire day to talk about the game with typically all your friends and family who come in for the game. There is something about the buildup and the excitement and you're walking up to the stadium and you know the lights are already on and you know that the party's already going on inside and you're not even there and you're just trying to like get up the ramp as fast as you possibly can because you know that it's going to be a freaking show and i get that you want that for the most important game and you want to be able to use that weapon against ohio state but i'm what i'm trying to say is how about this sean if besides trying to say the same thing over and over what percentage, if, if if maximum weapon whiteout usage was 100% at 8 o'clock, what percentage do you give it for a noon kick if everything else is equal? Because I'm saying it's I'm saying it's at best, and this is me being very lenient. I'll give you 60% as effective at noon. What, what where's your number on that? Um. Well, that depends on a lot of things. Um. If Penn State and Ohio State are both going, are both undefeated going in. I'd say probably about 80. Uh, if Penn State has one loss or, or Ohio State has one loss, it probably goes down a little bit. Uh, they have two losses, it goes down a little bit more. Um, uh, gut feeling, Penn State probably has one or two losses going into that game, so probably isn't um as electric as it would be and it'd probably be close close to your 60 percent number um but you never know and i want to you know i want to as realistic as i am i want to be a little bit optimistic and say well there's nobody on penn state's schedule till ohio state that really strikes the fear of god in me and that that's the truth if penn state uh plays up to plays to um, their talent level, uh, and that's a big if. That, right, that is a big if. And, and we, like, so we can go back and forth on this. My point is, if everything else was equal, it doesn't matter if it was one loss, if, just assume that both Penn State and Ohio State were undefeated. You are going to get that energy for that noon game regardless if it's a whiteout or not. Mm-hmm. 
not gonna have to worry about it. So I, I that's true. I go that's back true. to the fact of, and, and I know maybe you're right. Maybe this is the defeated mindset. I cannot, and, and and to be fair, you shouldn't be worried about losing to Minnesota necessarily. But we know how this team is coming off of their first loss of the season, and let's just assume that it's gonna be Michigan, and that's a big assumption as we'll talk about Purdue later, and obviously in a couple of weeks Auburn. But if you assume that, I really think you've got to gather the troops and you can have a, a party and a great environment for the whiteout against Minnesota and you win that game and you only have one loss. I think it then makes your noon atmosphere for a stripe out good. I, I still put it around probably 70, 80 percent of what the whiteout would be at night. But that's something that would still probably end up affecting Ohio State. But my thing is, even if both teams are undefeated, Sean. And if they were playing, both teams are playing undefeated at night and both teams are playing at noon, you are still looking at roughly 60% of its effectiveness. I just don't see it being as effective. And I think people get behind the stripe out enough if it's a one loss where we're not even really worried about it, right? Because at that point, a one loss Penn State team especially if it's a non-conference loss. But even if it's in, 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 uh, a loss to Michigan, you're you're going in that game saying, hey, Penn State is going to create or, or or control their own destiny at that point. The momentum and the, and the excitement is going to be there regardless, but it doesn't matter if they don't get past either Michigan or Minnesota. Yeah, that's true. Um, it really doesn't matter what people – and I, I will – I think that's – a good point too um first off stripe outs the atmosphere tends to be pretty good for them uh not quite a whiteout but they tend to be fun games to go to uh, secondly if you're not excited for the ohio state game if especially if penn state's undefeated or they only have one loss you really shouldn't need a whiteout to get excited for it i mean it helps and i think you need every i think you, you know you need everything you could get um but you are correct that people are going to be amped no matter what what the uh, I don't want to call it a gimmick, uh, but whatever whatever the theme of the game is. I agree. Well, let's move on, Sean. I think we can talk about that a lot more. Obviously, the point is sort of mute if Penn State lays an egg earlier in the season. Um, so we'll, we'll move on from that from now. I did want to talk about this. Uh, Drew Hartlib ran that four two forty. Uh, just a month ago or a couple months ago at the pro day, he was drafted or I should say picked up by the Carolina Panthers in undrafted free agency and came, signed his signing bonus, had one day at camp and due to a couple concussions he's had previously, due to an ACL tear he had at Penn State, due to some shin splint issues, he's uh, medically retiring and is not pursuing any more football-related uh, careers. He's still maybe considering track. Uh, but that's it for Drew Hartlove. Kind of a, a a weird way for all the excitement he got just a couple months ago. Uh, his career, unfortunately, is done. Yeah, and, you know, we, and with Hartlove, we always said the big thing with him was we knew how good of a gunner he was. But it was just finding that other spot, whether it was safety or corner or receiver, he just he never played that much of that at Penn State. And if you're having trouble getting on the field at Penn State, uh, which, I mean, he it was sort of a, a little a little beyond getting, having trouble. Uh, he just really wasn't cut out for Big Ten play. At the, it, it, it appeared at uh, on offense or defense. Uh, you're going to have it. You're probably going to have a tough time with the Panthers um, or any team in the NFL. Um, and then, of course, with his medicals, um, which we just don't know all that much about, uh, that makes it that makes the decision that makes uh, the decision to try to stick around, you know, a little more difficult. Um, but we wish Drew all the best. Um, I loved watching him on special teams, and it was fun to see how fast he was. Yeah, crazy fast, crazy, crazy fast, and unfortunately, so was his career in the NFL. But all the best to him, and hopefully he can maybe figure something out in the track world 
or or at least kind of get going in his future career. I think I saw that he might his dad owns an insurance company, so he might be going down that route as well. Uh, ESPN released the ballot for College Football Hall of Fame class of 2022. Three Penn Staters are on that ballot. Uh, running back DJ Dozier, running back Kajana Carter, and linebacker Paul Plesny. Sean, my question to you, you can only vote for one. Who would you take and why? Um, I am very biased towards Paul Puzlesny. Uh When he was one of my favorite play- still is one of my favorite players ever. Uh, and he's also the only one out of those three guys that I actually saw play. Uh, but taking my bias out of it, it's probably Kajana Carter. Uh, he was a Heisman finalist. He was one of the great, and Penn State's had a lot of great running backs. He's right up there with Saquon and Kurt Warner for being the greatest ever at Penn State. Uh, so my vote would probably be Kajana, but then you have you do have Paul Puzlesny, who was a two-time, uh, I believe he won the Buckus Ambenerick Award twice. Uh, so that's gonna, <laughs> I think they both get into the Hall of Fame, and DJ Dozier probably has an outside chance, but I think those two guys are the best bets to eventually get in. But I'd probably vote for Kajana out of the three of them. Yeah, I, I was actually going to agree with you at first, too. I, I like Paul Plesny out of those three pretty much because of that. Re- I mean, there really wasn't a better linebacker um, ba- when he was playing. And and then I know they don't technically care about the NFL career, but he also had a very long NFL career mm-hmm. uh, as well. So I like and, and maybe again, maybe that's just because that we're, we're showing our age a little bit. And, and by the way, I liked D- DJ Dozier a lot. Like when I would you know, flip on old games and stuff back when they had ESPN Classic and whatnot. Like, DJ Dozer was always on television. And yeah. and he, he's, he's a really good, good running back. Yeah. But it's just hard to imagine. Um, it's hard to imagine they they go with uh, with DJ Dozer over Kajan. And I don't know how much a team kind of goes into it. Like, does it matter is someone only going to say I'm only taking one Penn Stater in the ballot, or do they? I wonder if people, the voters take that the team aspect out of the consideration. Like I'm going to vote for the three best guys, and these are the three best guys, regardless of who. Or is it kind of like, yeah, but it's weird if Miami has only one guy and Penn State has three, and you're going to go ahead and take all three Penn State's? I'm not sure. There's probably a little bit of politics involved in that. Uh, yeah, but but it's a little bit hard to imagine all three of them getting in. But Paul Slesny, man, I mean, he was. And and really, he was the icon of the football team when he was playing. Kajana Carter had a couple other pretty good players on his team as well. So that that's one of the reasons why I kind of went Paul Pazlesny, just because he was the dude on defense. Kajana Carter had a little bit of help on offense. He did. Kajana had a great offensive line, and Kerry Collins and Bobby Ingram help. Uh, and I would also say for DJ Dozier, um, he was <laughs> – and it's kind of weird the way the College Hall of Fame works, uh, that you could stay on the ballot. It, it takes decades to get on when you look at uh, the NFL Hall of Fame or most of the professional sports Hall of Fames. Um, you only have a short period of time to get on. Uh, DJ Dozier graduated in 1986. Um, and his offense for being a national championship team really wasn't that great from what I know. Um but they were really carried by their defense. So DJ really carried that offense, uh, whereas, as you pointed out, Kajana had a lot of help. And um, Paul Paz was the guy on that defense, along with Tom Bahali, who was a really, really great college player as well. Yep, good old Tomba. This was a question that was uh, – I'm going to get to the fan question a little bit later. Again, if you guys want to drop us questions, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. So make sure to go ahead and do that. Uh, we'll we'll get to the fan question a little bit later in the show, but this came up. I, I asked people on Twitter over under eight and a half wins and asked people why. And then I posted on Facebook too, I should say, but majority of the people, Sean went under the eight and a half. What are your thoughts on that? I, I'm leaning towards, I understand why, but I really couldn't tell you right now the fourth loss and feel good about any of them for sure beating Penn state. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, but I think at a certain point in time, um, and 
they've had we've had two um, mediocre seasons in a row. I think that's what people are going to expect. Uh, college football is a what have you done lately for me. So I understand people going with the under. Um, and that uncertainty that I've talked about in previous podcasts, that's the one word I would use to describe Penn State right now is uncertain. That usually means people are going to have more conservative predictions. Um, I think eight and four is a f- fair prediction. Uh, Ohio, that would mean if you were to go eight and four, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Auburn. Those are four losses. Uh, I don't know if I would pick all those for four to be four losses, but I, I think they're all very, very conceivable. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. Yeah, Ohio State, Michigan, and Auburn, probably the three. And then that fourth, you can choose Purdue. You can choose Michigan State. You can maybe choose Minnesota. I, I think Michigan yeah. State, obviously, we won't be talking about Michigan State previewing them until the end of summer. I think Michigan State's an interesting team just because I don't know what to exactly expect. Kenneth Walker kind of carried that team. Is Peyton Thorne going to – step up and and be able to handle things on his own uh, is it was well, it a one-trick pony with a, with the uh, transfer portal i don't really know what to expect out there obviously he's got plenty of money now so he's, he's no worry about stability um and maybe we'll talk about him a little bit later in the show but i don't know and and who knows what penn state looks like in november i do know and we talked about this a couple weeks ago at least depth wise the way the schedule kind of turns out, you should feel pretty good as far as being healthy for Michigan State with an Indiana, Rutgers, Maryland in November before you take on Michigan State. You should should be able to find ways to rest guys a little bit if needed to prepare for that Michigan State game. Yeah, that is a nice uh, soft stretch. Well, should be a soft stretch uh, before Michigan State. Uh, but coaching does matter and i'm a mel tucker believer i think he's gonna be um a thorn in our side just like mark d'antonio was as long as he's there um and he you know he's got to try to strike gold in the transfer portal again uh because michigan state is a little ahead of schedule i thought they were gonna have way more of a rebuild than they've had to have they had uh 2020 was kind of a throwaway year for them but they were a lot better than anybody thought they'd be last year. And was it, um, you know, a little bit of luck finding Kenneth Walker? Yeah. Um, but I wonder if Mel Tucker could uh, replicate that and try to do it again with with other guys in the portal. Um, he also tried to find guys in the portal in the secondary last year and didn't have as much luck with that, being that they had the worst secondary, I believe, either in the country or in the Big Ten. Right, at least in the Big Ten, and he's a secondary kind of guy, so you would expect them to to, to clean that up here next season, at least a little bit. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's just something we can talk about a lot with the eight and a half. I think that's a fair number to be about. Um, and who knows? I mean, there's a lot of who knows what as far as going into the season. We don't really know a lot about a lot of teams, and we don't know a lot about Penn State. I mean, we can talk and sit here and, and talk it week in, week out, but the same things will keep coming back. The offensive line, is Sean Clifford really going to be ready to take the next step if he stays healthy? The running backs, are they going to do anything? Is Manny Diaz going to be okay? Are the linebacker depth going to be an issue? I mean, there's a lot of things that if they all went well, you could look at a really good season for Penn State. But when things don't go well, where are we going to end up? So let's move on to the recruiting update, Sean. Penn State held the whiteout camp this past weekend. You have some news for us on that front. Yeah, um, Marcus Stokes uh, really showed out at uh, the whiteout camp. Um, they, uh, he looked very, he he looked the part. Uh, probably even played a little bit better, looked a little bit better than uh, we expected. Also, uh, a new offer went out uh, to Yazid Haynes. He is a three-star receiver, used to be a Rutgers commit, and him and Stokes just seemed to have some really natural chemistry with each other um and i would look for possible commitment some at some point i think penn state definitely leads uh for mr haynes at this point yeah he seems like a guy that 
everyone was talking about as soon as camp was over. Uh, so I think Fitz was on Twitter tweeting about him and, and what he was able to do. So definitely a guy to pay attention to. I saw Liam Andrews, a class of 2024 lineman was there. Um, and there's a lot of offensive linemen, uh, at least um, from this past class that, that were there and ready to rock and roll. Yep. So um, that was probably the probably the most from one position as far as who showed up. I think there's a lot of offensive linemen there um, getting some pretty solid reps in. Yeah, Berkmeyer was there. Uh, he re- he seemed to really uh, really do well. Uh, also uh, for class another lineman for class of 2024, uh, Cooper Cousins also had a very very good showing from everything I've read um, on uh, on what happened there. Um, so a uh, lot to be excited about uh, from commits and uh, guys that we're hoping to bring in as uh, future commits. Yeah, we mentioned last week, this is kind of the beginning. This is maybe the calm before the storm. Next week and the week after, heavy, heavy recruiting weekends uh, for Penn State. The official visits are starting to come in now. I think some some people started taking their official visits across the country this week. So everyone's saying how great of a time they had. And it's amazing how everyone says pretty much the same thing. But um, that's no fault to their own. But this is the time, so it's it's going to be a lot of random, you know, rumors and things here and there. I don't expect uh, Cousins to be the only guy in the 2024 class for very long. I think that's, you know, going to continue to change, and, and and we'll see what happens. I mean, a lot is going on and now right now in the 2023 rankings. I think Texas Tech is still up there at number two right now. Uh, I think Notre Dame is number one, and Penn State is currently at three. So it, it's all moving around, and, and who knows what's going to happen, but... Penn State, at least for the 2023 class, is looking to be in a pretty solid spot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're off to definitely a good start. Um, it's going to be interesting to see who they bring in. Um, also, a um, crystal ball pick from 24-7 Sports uh, has King Mac uh, from Florida um, looking to potentially commit to the Nittany Lions. He is teammates with Conrad Hussey down at um, St. Thomas Aquinas in Florida. So that'll be something for uh, for us all to keep an eye on. Sweet, sweet. So that, that's something exciting to look out as well. well. I want to get to this question because I don't know how much we're going to get to talk about everything else today, Sean, because we're, we're on a little bit of a rant today, which is fine. It's fantastic for, for being in the summer. But I do want to get to this question asked on Twitter by JGNBU59. He says, what's the level of hot seat on the coaching staff moving into the season? Is there a particular coach you see with the hottest seat currently? I know we talked about this, what, probably maybe in February-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is worth bringing up again. The coaching staff as a whole, I, I think that's easy just to say James Franklin, because if he goes, most likely everyone's going to go. So let's just say, as far as what James Franklin's hot seat is is concerned with, I I would say he could probably, with getting a new contract, he could probably do whatever he wants this year and, and be fine. I mean, if he goes 0-12, maybe that's a different conversation. If he misses a bowl game, I know how, I, which I don't think is going to happen, but let's just say he goes 6-6, six and six, worst-case scenario. I think that's a fine worst-case scenario. He's not going to get fired with a 6-6 six and six this year, I don't think. I think it sets up a really – what are we got ourselves into the 10 year contract scenario for next year? But right now I, I think six and six and he's still, he's still fine, Sean. Yeah. I think the coach with the biggest hot seat right now is James Franklin. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I pretty much agree with you. Um, I think six and six is a decent floor. Uh, just looking at the schedule. Um, but if he goes six and six, make no mistake about it. This seat is red hot next year. Um, it's going to be a pain in the rear to fire him because of the big buyout and the length of his contract. But I do think Penn State would be able to pony up the money maybe next year or the year after to fire him if need be. Uh, but I just can't see it after this season unless Penn State goes 3-9 and nine or something. Maybe then they would look to make a change. Uh, as far as the coach with with the hot, on the hot seat the most right now, 
Um, probably Phil Troutwine. Um, just because this is year three, if there's no improvement with the offensive line, maybe they look to make a change. But it's even hard to say him because of the recruiting class that he has coming in. I'm not sure if it would be a great idea to fire him. Um, possibly, honestly, and I would hate to see this happen, uh, maybe Ty Howell. Uh, if the tight ends disappoint again, it's possible he might just not have been ready for a position coach if that happened, to be a position coach if that happens. I would hate to see it happen because I really, really like the guy. Uh, but I think it is a, po- I think he is a possibility. Yeah, I think Howe's a, a guy that you maybe would have to consider just because I don't know anywhere else you could look. I don't think anybody on defense is anywhere near that you know, anywhere close to being on the hot seat. And then on offense, everyone's doing a really good job, uh, except for Trotwine. And 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 I don't think, and I agree, I don't think offensive line's a position where you keep cycling in offensive line coaches. I don't think that's the answer. Um, I don't want to say Mike Gersich either, but if he had an awful year, we've seen James Franklin not, he- not hesitate when it comes to getting new offense corners if it's not working. So I guess maybe him, but yeah, I, I would say how maybe Trotwine, maybe Yursic, but I mean that's kind of a group effort as far as all that's kind of working out. So if Yursic can't seem to run the ball better, if if How can't seem to get the tight ends involved more, if the offense line isn't better, I think you know then Penn State's probably not looking very successful anyway. So yeah. I, and I, go ahead. And let's be clear, if Penn State goes six and six or something, lots of people are getting fired because that's what tends to happen happen when a coach gets on the hot seat and James Franklin would be firmly on the hot seat and that means you fire at least three or four coaches so let's hope it doesn't get to that point <laughs> right and I, and I think let's jump right into the coaching contracts thing from here so basically what I saw on uh, this today was Arkansas gave Sam Pittman a five-year 25 million dollar contract with a lot of interesting kind of incentives and also auto uh, extensions, which I don't think I've ever really seen before, but it's, it's a perfect idea, which by the way, doesn't have a very high buyout in this contract, but it's a perfect scenario because it's not something that people are going to go and poach Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman is perfect for Arkansas. He's probably not perfect for Penn state. He's probably not perfect for a lot of programs. Like he could maybe go to maybe an old miss or, or maybe a Mississippi state or maybe a, I wouldn't even say an LSU, but but maybe another Southern school like that. But really, Arkansas is is his place. And Iowa isn't going to take him. A Colorado isn't going to take him. A, an Oregon or an Oregon State isn't going to take him. Like Sam Pittman's found his home. And this contract, five years, twenty five million dollars. He gets a million extra dollars every year for for just being there, for just staying alive. He gets an extra million every single year uh, for for just getting around the sun on top of that. And this is what I thought was interesting. Every time he wins seven regular season games and the bowl game, he gets an auto extension of one year on his contract. And I'm assuming at at approximately $5 million per year. That number is obviously a little bit low for Penn state fans for James Franklin. But Sean, if I would have told you something like that existed for nine wins plus a bowl win. So you're looking at 10 ish, 10 plus wins a year. That seems like a fair auto extension. So if if they would have came out with a contract to James Franklin for a five year, you know, let's just say more like five year, forty million dollars or something like that, with an auto extension for a nine win plus bowl win season, that that sounds a little bit better than a ten year contract to me. Yeah, I I would probably be okay with that, um, because. You know, it's not it's not the end of the world if you extend a guy a couple of years, um, but it's when you get into a ten-year contract and you have this huge buyout. That's when you kind of that's when you're in between a rock and a hard place. But if you want to extend your coach after a good season, that's fine. I've actually heard this that this one guy say, um, and I think it's a little too binary for me, um, but I understand where it's coming from. Uh, you either want to be, and he, and this is the theory. You either want to be extending your coach, or you want to fire your coach. 
and again, I think it's a little too binary. Um, but I do kind of get that you want to make sure your coach is well compensated if you're having success because as 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 we've said before college football is very much a what have you done for me lately uh profession um uh, college football uh, i should say <laughs> what have you done for me lately sport um so knowing that i'd be fine with doing an extension every time we we go 10 and 3 or uh, 10 and 2 or 11 and 1 that that would be fine with me yeah, and the only difference, again, between what we're talking about here is James Franklin's not Sam Pittman. There is a, a huge, or at least what, maybe it's synthetic, but regardless, there is some sort of want and desire and market for James Franklin. Whether that was USC, from what we heard a lot about, whether that was LSU, what we heard a lot about, whatever the case may be, people wanted James Franklin. And... Some Penn State fans will say, well, let him go. But James Franklin, for a lot of reasons, at least value-wise and what he deems important and what he knows how to run a campus and, and run a football program in a place like State College, James Franklin's got that down. And there's not a lot of guys that can can balance as many things as James Franklin's had to balance as being a Penn State football coach. And, and I know maybe that sounds a little homery. Maybe I'm falling in love with him. But you think about being an African-American coach in central Pennsylvania, even in 2022, is not necessarily an easy thing to do. Um, being uh, a, basically the first long-term coach since Joe Paterno is not an easy thing to do, especially since a lot of the donors, a lot of the older alumni are, you know, still grew up with Joe Paterno. Most of us still, you know, were watching and loved Joe Paterno games. We're not even close to that error being done. So James, and, and at the same time, he has to balance all that and what that era brought as far as expecting to do well with a lot less to this new era of football where NIL with transfer portal, with an arms race for, for facilities and, and all that and what all that entails it is an incredibly difficult balancing act, and it's not like a Sam Pittman in Arkansas where he fits right into that kind of culture and he's not going to go anywhere and they're not worried about it based off that buyout that he received for his new contract. It's a lot harder to do something like that for, for James Franklin, but I thought it was interesting because even if it's not the case for football, I still think that's something you could at least entertain for other sports, maybe for basketball. I could see something like that you know, being – something they could at least consider moving forward because I like that aspect of, hey, what have you done for me lately? If that's going to be the name of the game in the football world, why don't we have contracts that, that rightfully reflect that? Yeah, and a lot a lot of it is expectation balance. Uh, Arkansas consider going the Outback Bowl and winning the Outback Bowl, a lot like how Penn State fans would probably consider winning the Rose Bowl. Um. So you have to keep that in mind. Um, yeah, Sam Pittman is kind of the what you would expect to be a good Arkansas coach. He, I think he's a good coach overall. He fits down there. Um, and James Franklin does have a lot to balance. Um, but James Franklin is paid to do that balance. And I think there are other guys who could do as good of a job if and a better job than James Franklin has done at Penn State. I think that's possible, but I also think that, that there's a risk, right? And there's a reward to that risk. If you sure, can get a guy absolutely. that comes in and wins you a national championship in three years, like, okay, then yeah, you take that. But what is the percentage of that? And what is the percentage of what you're going to get with stability sure. with James Franklin? And I think that's such a hard balance and, and and thing that we don't thankfully have to figure out and and juggle ourselves but it's difficult and a 10-year contract means we're going to be with him regardless now so that kind of you know closes that window at least a little bit sean i want to get to purdue so we're going to move on a little bit i think it's something that we can always come back and talk about though because it's it's an interesting thing like what what are we paying for and what is he presenting and 
and we talked about this maybe i don't know a couple weeks ago about okay if we're going to give them all and it must have been during when we were talking about the tenure of james franklin and we're talking about how if this is what if we're going to give him a pass for what 2020 was and what whatever that was we need to see things going back in the right direction back into the 2017 2018 direction even 2019 direction we need to get back to the at least new york six level here in the next two years otherwise maybe we missed our shot yeah, 100%. I think Penn State fans, and this is just, I think, natural to people in general. You want to see progress. If you're not seeing progress, then something is wrong. If things are stagnant, people think there's something wrong. And generally, people are correct. Um, you could apply that to many things in society. Um, if it doesn't feel like things are getting better, people are going to be unhappy. And people are going to want a change in some way. Uh, if the people in charge aren't doing um, a good enough job. So um, I think it's only natural to want and expect Penn State uh, football to be better in the next couple of years. Yeah, I think that's a fair expectation. I do, I do, I do you know, football is not linear as far as progression goes, as much as we all kind of wish it would be. Uh, what is linear is how we're going to be talking about Penn State's <laughs> opponents for 2022. And the first one on the docket is Purdue, Thursday night, 8 p.m., Fox, September 1st. Not that far away. Uh, we're in the 80s as far as days until kick. So right around the corner, Purdue, interesting, interesting team. Jeff Brom still there. Still have their quarterback in Aiden O'Connell, who took over the job, won the job. They had multiple quarterbacks kind of playing last year. He is the dude. He finished the year pretty well, had a good game against Iowa, had a good game against Northwestern, had a good game uh, against Tennessee in the Music City Bowl. When he takes care of the football, he's got a good arm. He's tall. He had a lot of weapons last year that are no longer there. What are your thoughts on Aiden O'Connell? What are your thoughts on this offense as, as we begin to peek ahead at, at Purdue? Well, he had a great season last. He had a great season last year. Uh, he's another guy. He's like Sean Clifford, going to be a six-year senior. Um, threw for twenty, threw for uh, twenty-seven touchdowns last year to eleven interceptions. Um, you know, had a very, had a very, very good season. Um, it's important to take into account that David Bell is no longer there. Uh, he's going to be playing on Sunday. I think he's going to be a really. I think he's. They found. I think he's going to be a good NFL player. Um, they're going to have uh, Tyrone. They're going to be relying a lot on an Iowa transfer named Tyrone Tr Tracy Jr. to um, kind of carry the load um, and make up for what they're going to be losing in both Milton Wright and David Bell. Uh, but <laughs> Jeff Brown is a good offensive mind, um, and I'm expecting Aiden O'Connell to still have a very good year for the Boilermakers. One thing I was a little bit surprised with, not as far as Athlon Sports, uh, first team, second team, third teams, not a lot of offensive linemen on that Purdue making that list. I, I don't think that offensive line is insanely good by any stretch of the imagination. Purdue was unable to run the ball very well last year at all, mm -hmm. kind of like Penn State. And so I think that's going to be something important when we talk about who wins this football game. But yeah, I mean, Milton Wright, academically ineligible for this year, he took the spring off to try to figure that out, was unable to do so. That's a big loss for Purdue. Basically, the top three pass catchers are all gone now. Uh, Payne Durham, the tight end, 467 yards. He's now the leading returning receiver. Really cool, really good guy as far as, you know, you can just tell that this dude will come across the middle and catch anything. He refuses to go down after the catch. Uh, he, he's going to be a guy that Penn State has to match up. I don't know who you necessarily put on him uh, because he is a bigger dude. Uh, but he, he he's going to be a guy that at the end of the year we're maybe considering potentially as one of the better tight ends, if not the best tight end in the country, or in the Big Ten at least. Running back-wise, King Doru, Samson James, kind of lightning and thunder there. Doru's got a little bit more explosiveness to him. He's a senior. He actually played in the 2019 game uh, when Purdue came to Penn State. Samson James, the transfer from Indiana, more of a bruiser kind of back. But, Sean, I really think that you nailed it on the head. Tyrone Tracy, the transfer from Iowa, 
I have a feeling he's going to be doing everything for Purdue. He can he played running back in high school, so he can line up back there. And when they need a little bit more explosiveness, he can line up in the slot when they need him there. I think Tyrone Tracy is a name that we're going to hear a lot of uh, in 2022. Yeah, and Jeff Brown has a knack for identifying offensive talent and really maximizing it. Uh, he was Tracy was a little underused at, at Iowa last year. I believe he only had 15 um, rushing attempts, um, but he is supposed to be an explosive player for them. Um, but they're going to need to be able to run the ball better this year. Um, they were dead last in the country in yards per rush last year, uh, only averaging 2.79 yards per rush. Penn State, for comparison, we all know weren't very good running the ball last year. They averaged 3.21 yards per rush. Um, so they're going to have to find something in that running game, especially without having um, David Bell and Milton Wright available to them. Um, but I'm, like I said, I believe in what Jeff Brom brings to the offensive side of the football, and I think they'll be able to figure that out. They also got two or one other transfer from Auburn. I wanted to mention Elijah Kenyon. Not sure what he'll be able to do, but more depth for a receiving core that really needs it. So look for new faces to kind of make, you know, themselves themselves known. And that's one thing I think it's hard for Penn State's defense to know because, yeah, okay, Aiden O'Connell, you got to get after him. And, and and I think when you do get pressure on Aiden O'Connell, there's that one awful interception I posted on Twitter when he did have pressure and he had to step up in the pocket. I think you have a decent chance of doing some good things against them. Uh, so so I think pressure on Aiden O'Connell is a must. He's not super mobile. He's not going to run away from you. So if you can bring some pressure, you're most likely going to get there. You know, you don't have to worry about him breaking the pocket and, and breaking containment and, and running for 20, 25 yards. So I think that helps. But I, <clears throat> I am worried a little bit about how Penn State attacks this Purdue offense because, yeah, they might not be able to run the ball well. But you said Brom is a is an offensive mastermind in his own right, and he know he knew how to get the most out of this offense, even though they couldn't run the ball at all, like you mentioned. So I don't know how they necessarily attack. I think Payne Payne Durham is a guy that you have to really pay attention to, and you you take him away and make someone else kind of beat you in the air. You know whether that be Tyrone Tracy or or maybe one of these younger wide receivers. Also Zion Steptoe is a recruit coming in to keep an eye on. Uh, but but Sean, I. I feel good about it. I don't feel great about um, uh, great about how our offense lines up against their defense just because we're not sure if we can run the ball. What are your thoughts on Penn State's offense versus Purdue's defense? Um, I feel really good that George Karlaftis isn't there this year. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, they were still a, a they were a good defense last year. I believe they're 48th in total defense. Uh, again, that was with uh, George Karloftis. They still have three three um, three guys coming back on their defensive line. Um, and I'm expecting it to be, uh, again, a challenge to run the ball. Um, and it's sort of a, I'll believe it when I see it type thing, maybe. Um, but I do want to see how they could run against a you know, what was last year a very formidable defensive line. Um, and then as far, I just want to say one more thing about the about Purdue's offense, too. Uh, Purdue has, you know, like I, I keep talking about Jeff Brown, but Purdue in the past, uh, going back to the Joe Tiller days, they've always been able to throw the ball. So it's going to be able to... It's, it's going to be interesting to see how one of our strengths, which is our secondary, matches up against their, their strength in Aiden O'Connell. I agree. And I'm curious if that defensive line is going to be able to make enough of a difference uh, to hopefully get Aiden O'Connell uncomfortable. Because I think that might be the game. I think worse, you know, it could end up being kind of like a, a flat tire offense by both teams. If neither can run the ball, who can be somewhat more consistent throwing the ball uh, when it matters most. And whoever is able to do that probably is going to win this football game. I kind of like Penn State just because I think they might have the better defense. I, I know Purdue is returning uh, seven starters on defense, but I don't think they were overly impressive last year. Cam Allen did have four interceptions. Uh, their linebacker, Jalen Graham, he's a playmaker. He had a pick six last year. 
But you're right. They lost George Karloftis. They got two other defensive linemen I like, Hydran Jenkins and Branson Dean. But I'm not overly impressed with Purdue's defense. They they felt leaky at times, uh, especially, for example, in that Tennessee game, even in the Northwestern game. Sometimes I couldn't put Northwestern away. Um, so I'm curious to see kind of what that looks like, especially since they don't really know what to expect from Penn State's offense either. Yeah, or their defense uh, with uh, Matt, with the for the first time in a few years, a new defensive philosophy coming into Happy Valley. Um, I agree. I think they're going to be a challenge. I do expect Penn State to win this one, uh, but I think it's going to be a uh, you know, a challenging first game. It's it's interesting, too, the contrasts in style from last year's first game to this year's first game, where Wisconsin is a very, traditionally a very run-heavy team. Uh, Graham Mertz was um, awful against Penn State last year, uh, but they were, but they relied a lot on the run game. I thought Penn State held up pretty well against it. Uh, whereas this year, uh, Purdue... I'm not expecting too much of them on the ground, uh, but they're going to be able to sling it. So it's, I just think it's an interesting little contrast, track contrast in styles to open up this season as compared to last season. I agree. And if I had to choose Sean, I think I'd rather choose this Purdue style because at least against Purdue, you know, the clock's going to stop when they have an incomplete pass. That's could potentially be a longer game, especially if Penn state can't run the ball. If Wisconsin, was able to run the ball against us last year, we were going to be, we were going to lose that game. Uh, but the Penn State defense, especially in the red zone, played tough. And that was really the difference. You kind of get a freebie when it comes to Purdue because they're not going to run the ball on you. And if they can't run the ball on you, then most likely you're going to have more opportunities to get back in the football game. So as far as having to choose which one I'd rather go against, I know it's at night. But I still think I would choose Purdue just because of the way that maybe we don't see the same consistency with their offense because they have to throw the ball against maybe our strength in the secondary. I think that bodes well for us. And then defensively, I don't know what to expect from them. I I, I really don't. And, and maybe that's more because I don't know what to expect from Penn State's offense. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that too. Um, and in years past, I might have – feared Purdue style a little bit more, but that's when Penn State um, had secondaries that really just weren't that athletic, uh, not as athletic as you need to be. Um, whereas in um, this particular that this particular time, um, Penn State will have the better athletes than Purdue, uh, and I'm expecting that to be a better matchup for Penn State than having to go against Wisconsin because I, you know, last year, if Wisconsin was able to get the run game going, like we all know Wisconsin likes to do, uh, it would have been game over. Whereas I don't really think that with, with Purdue, I'm not expecting them. I'm not, I'm, I think even if they're, let's say Purdue is up in the fourth quarter, but they're only up by a score, even a 10-point game. I won't feel like the game's over because I'll know they can't run the ball. And we're going to be able to get the ball back with the chance to, you know, tie or take the lead in regulation. Right, right. And I, it kind of comes back to that defensive line, being able to to get pressure on Aiden O'Connell, make sure that run game doesn't get going. P.J. Mustafer is going to have to have a big, big game there as well. Um, yeah, and the, to your point, Purdue's average recruiting rank 42nd in the country over the course of the last four seasons. So all the guys they brought in, the 24-7 composite rank average is 42. I don't have Penn State's on me, but I promise you it's a lot better than that. Um, probably more like 13, 15-ish. So as far as overall athletes go, according to – and obviously that changes a little bit with the transfer portal, but overall it looks like Penn State should have the better team across the board. I am. Well, I will say this, and and I think Tyrone Tracy could be a, an X factor for Purdue moving forward. I don't know if that role will be polished yet in Week One. I think a Purdue team in Week Ten, once that role is more polished, could be lethal, depending on what they're able to do. Um, but early on, I'm not sure how much Tyrone Tracy is going to be a part of the offense. If if it's up to me, I I think Tracy's got to be from there from the get go. But I'm just not sure if they'll be there yet. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and, you know, going into the season, you usually, like with Rondell Moore, uh, with David Bell, you kind of knew what you had with them. Uh, whereas this year, uh, there's really not that go-to guy, at least that I've seen. And maybe Tracy will end up being that guy. But from the get-go, there's really not that guy there. Uh, I also want to make a note. Uh, uh, Joe Strickland is a is an early enrollee for Purdue uh, at defensive end. And he was a guy that Penn State was heavily involved with trying to get him um, out of Indianapolis. And it wouldn't shock me at all if we saw him maybe make an appearance and maybe not be an every-down kind of guy. But maybe get ten to fifteen snaps uh, as a freshman against against the Nittany Lions in Week One. Right. I think also I think Cole Brevard is is that Purdue now too, who transferred. Correct. Uh, yep. Penn State. So he will have an opportunity for some potential revenge as well. Um, wanted to also note this will be the and I, oh man I just messed this up. It'd be the seventh straight. I think that's right. Seventh straight. Season where Penn State starts on the road in Big Ten play, so um, just another uh, just another kind of notch as far as the Big Ten is concerned, as far as making Penn State start on the road in the Big Ten play. Yeah, uh, obligatory Penn State fans saying the Big Ten hates us, but it does make you think a little bit. Maybe they do. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm not going to sit here. To be honest with you, I don't think it really matters if you play a couple of non-conference games before. But yeah, starting the I season <laughs> on the road twice against Big Ten opponents, not necessarily the nicest thing you could have potentially done for Penn State. So, Yeah, I'd rather start at home. I wish we played every game at home, but I'd, <laughs> I'd really like to uh, you know, start at home one of these years. And next year, I um, not to change the subject at all next year i think i saw on one of the websites all the big 10 schedules have been scrubbed um potential realignment in 2023 maybe we're teasing something for next episode oh i did not know that sean yeah little um fun little thing that i found out so we'll see i'm expecting some kind of realignment probably as soon as 2023 so be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, the Big Ten East has dominated the Big Ten championship games, and and the Big Ten West is just a wild, wild west out there as far as who could win what. So, um, any final thoughts on Purdue, Sean? No, I just I think they're going to be a good challenge for Penn State out of the gate. Um, they don't terrify me, but they were a nine-win team last year. They won more games than we did, albeit in the West. They didn't play in the East. Uh, but they still finish with the very respectable 9-4 record. And I think it'll be a nice uh, challenge. Um, and um, then Ohio after that, and then Auburn. Uh, so I, I, I like uh, I like an early season challenge. I think it's good for the team, and I think it's good for the fans to really be able to gauge where where the team's at right out of, right out of the gate instead of, you know, scheduling three cupcakes to start the season. And then you're sitting there at the end of September really not knowing how good you are. Yeah, yeah, we, we've talked about that a lot. We will know how good the Penn State Nittany Lions are a lot sooner than we did uh, last season. That is for sure. Uh, again, guys, there will be a short five-minute or so preview uh, for Purdue up on our YouTube channel, so make sure to go subscribe there um, as well. Next week, we will be Purdue or previewing Ohio, so... Uh, that will be coming quick. I did want to mention in, or Purdue plays Indiana State the following week, so it's so no sort of look-ahead game for Purdue following the Penn State game. Penn State will get Ohio. We'll preview them next week as well as talking about something else, I'm sure, maybe maybe possibly Big Ten realignment. So uh, for Sean Kane, I am Corey Lestoke. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you guys have a fantastic week, and we will catch you next time on Hardcore Penn State Football. Peace out, everybody. Thank you.